as we teased, we now have merch. Um, Two versions by, I guess, two artists of similar design. So one is a more painter style by our very own Nemo. (laughs) Blobo from our brick that looks very nice as a sticker. And then we also have a more clean lines kind of t-shirt design by Sarah, actually, because what's the point of having an artistic fiance if you're not like, <laughs> make merch for me? <laughs> it's really beautiful. And we're going to put both links in the show notes. You might have actually already seen that we couldn't hold off on mentioning it on the Twitter. So if you want any Lamer's merch, Lamer's merch with very subtle bread and barricades branding i guess like it's more it's heavy on the lamers minor on the bread and barricades there is also though you have to uh, please go and look at it anyway because there are a lot of references in both the oil one and in the ink one that like yeah you have they are uh exciting references i would say (laughs) it's like um uh where's wally but for (laughs) our silly little brains (laughs) so spot them all and let us know if you if you get them all welcome to riding barricades a lamer's podcast my name is nemo martin i use say them pronouns and and nothing interesting has happened to me in my internet life and I haven't been watching anything funny or cool. And I haven't done anything. What is life? God, <laughs> I've just been coasting. Um, You've just been so busy with work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this week I haven't done literally anything apart from like sit here, work and watch trash TV. <laughs> like genuinely nothing interesting. So that's me. Uh, this is Stevie. She, they pronounce uh, primary researcher. Yeah, this is what happens when we record and then see each other so much, so close together, <laughs> that we're like, well, what could I have to report? You were there. <laughs> we watched some <laughs> home renovations. We watched a great a great um, home renovation show where one of the dudes wanted to build his house like a shed, and he loved sheds so much, and... He was like, I'm going to build my first home and it's going to be like a shed. And we were like, all right, sounds gonna, like it's going to be the most grim thing that you've ever seen. And he built it. And the mad lad, he made it look like a shed, but it was so beautiful. And I loved it a lot. And I was like, God, I want to live in that shed. <laughs> there was a lot of natural light in there and some good uh, tiling work. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the kind of the, the, the aesthetics of a converted barn, except not bad. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, it's a shed. And, you know, like, when I, at least when I picture a shed, and maybe this is because we live in London where your garden, if you have one, is tiny. So if you have a shed in it, yeah. it's maybe a lawnmower. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not even a lawnmower. Maybe just a head, maybe just a grass strimmer. Yeah, yeah. Just a pole with a blade. Yeah. This was, like, I would say closer to a barn. Like, they kept saying shed, but I've never seen a shed this nice. Yeah, and all the builders were like, that's what the client wants when they're putting, like, industrial, like, um, corrugated metal on the roof. And they're all, like, you know, putting together this, like, weird 
tree stuff and they're like cobbling all these stones together and you're like watching it and you're like oh this is going to be so <laughs> bad <laughs> schadenfreude and then you like it got to the end and it like you know cut from the inside looking like really bad and like they're the pouring cement and it looking really dusty and grim to the final thing and it was like so beautiful <laughs> anyway this is now just my life of being an adult watching other people <laughs> in beautiful houses and being like god <laughs> i love that shed <laughs> what is france but a newly renovated <laughs> shed <laughs> says victor hugo in this chapter <laughs> like basically says victor hugo in this chapter <laughs> Excellent. Carry on. Tell me more. So you were considering reading his uh, thoughts and feelings on reality, but yeah, you've had a lot of work on, so I just want to check. Not to be like, and didn't you do it? But just to see where you're at. The concept of thinking about reality without the filter of a Stevie really stressed me out. <laughs> because I remembered that the last time that we did a... that we did a Hugo essay I started believing in God for like 30 seconds oh yeah so I do think that I need to be like filtered through you so I really believe in what you're saying you are like a politician in that you say things and I'm like yeah fuck I would believe you 100% (laughs) except I don't believe in any politicians so you're the the platonic ideal of a politician (laughs) terrifying because I'm just reading you Hugo's words but I guess at least I make fun of them sometimes and maybe that's why you trust me I'm a man of the people yeah Yeah, and then you're going to, like, put $3 billion in the police state because of your love of Chavez. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot comment on my relationship with Javert at this time. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting question. What I think the real question should be... (laughs) I've done media training. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, as you were all forewarned, a Nemo slapper twink clickbait title on this episode to force people to come here (laughs) (laughs) is a Victor Hugo historian some thoughts and feelings Mm. so book one a few a few few (laughs) pages of history that is to say (laughs) that is to say uh, about a minimum of 30 pages on history. Hell yeah! (laughs) Just a few. Chapter one, well cut. Ooh. Like, uh, uh, Andreas's penis. (laughs) Good, now we've earned cutting the clickbait. You asked me, I deliver. Good job. That's my job here. Thank you. So, this first chapter... Well, the the ones we'll we'll be following, all of them apparently. Um, but so this first one, he's leading us in. He's thinking a lot about the years that followed the July Revolution, eighteen thirty one and eighteen thirty two. So the revolution happened in eighteen thirty. I can do basic math. Excellent, thank you. And Hugo argues that these two years stand out as one of history's most distinctive and striking moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These two years are like two mountains, and they have a revolutionary grandeur. The social masses, the foundations of civilization, age-old contours of the previous French landscape keep appearing and disappearing. 
through the clouds of passion and theories. Hmm. But this is this one's gonna be a hard one for me to concentrate on, lads. I need a I need a fidget quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna like he's very metaphorical in these ones. I'm gonna try and only give little sprinklings so that you can all like enjoy how pretty he's being with his words and stuff, but I'm gonna try yeah. and like get us to the things. Great. I took my glasses off so I can't be distracted by reading anything <laughs> on the internet. I'm gonna close that tab. <laughs> And I'm going to close my eyes and just be thinking about the words that you're saying to me. I've got a Sharpie in one hand that I can twist in my fingers. Let's go. I can listen to this. Really think about these two years. Um, (laughs) So the Restoration had been a transitional period that is hard to define. Mm. I'm sure he'll try and define it. (laughs) Genuine. (laughs) So this transitional period is basically... The great nation coming to the end of one stage in its progress and entering a new a new stage and a new dawn is on the horizon. And a new day, a new dawn. <laughs> and I'm feeling good. Uh, France is feeling all kinds of things right now. Uh-huh. So the things about these transitional periods that there's a lot of politicians who are gonna try and exploit them. Mm. And because they're so hard to define, they're kind of not going to do them in the right ways. Mm. So it reminds me of that, like uh, that new meme that's going around, which is like um, the new political alignment chart, and it's like all of the like different kinds of alignment charts, and then in they all have the thought bubble that I can't wait until society collapses so that my ideology can rise from the ashes and take over. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've not seen that one, but yeah, I can picture. <laughs> so basically, so yeah, 1830 was revolution and we're now in a restoration. So the mm. thing that happens after the revolution, so we're like post Napoleon and all that kind of stuff going on, is that everyone's just fucking tired. Yeah. Rams yeah. just wants to rest. It just wants to be small. It wants to stay quiet. You know, we've had some big events, we've had great dangers and great men, and the people, they've had enough. (laughs) We've done our marching, we just want somewhere to sleep. Everybody (laughs) is asking for a bed. (laughs) Um, But but well-behaved countries rarely become great, says Victor Hugo. (laughs) Well, actually, he's going to say the opposite. Oh, really? (laughs) In not very long. (laughs) Well, you know, his thoughts about women, so. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, we've had this period, you know, there's been some heroics. There's been Mm -hmm. some ambitions that we've satiated. And what are we begging for? He just keeps saying they want to rest. We want to sleep. We want peace. We want a bed. We want to rest. Do you know what we want? It's to rest. And you're like, thanks, you've said this for four paragraphs. (laughs) Uh, what do we want we want rest where do we want it we want rest (laughs) bed please want sleep (laughs) so as weary men demand rest Mm. new realities Mm. demand guarantees Mm. so for us to rest we know need to know that we can rest easy maybe is perhaps (laughs) what he's saying Uh guarantees are to new realities what rest is to men (laughs) How many times can he say rest? Oh my god. So he so he's like so basically, you know, after the Stuarts No 
when it was the Stuarts, after the Protector, England wanted guarantees. So we've now that the Empire is over and the Bourbons are back. So they're the Bourbons are the French monarchy who are being restored. Mm. France wants guarantees from them, and basically they want the guarantees which were sort of laid out in the uh, eight. Where's my? I've got I've got a lot of tabs open because there's some like fucking heavy stuff going on that I can't hold it all. So there's a charter mm. of 1814 mm. that was granted by King Louis XV111. 18. So that charter had basically been like any rights that you people, the people, have got over the course of some of your various revolutions, you can keep them, mm. but the French monarchy get to be in power. Mm. So when the Bourbons have now come back, mm. they were like, all the power is now back in us. Like, we mm. granted you these rights, and that was like a favor from us, but because we have divine right and France has nothing on its own without us, we can just take those away. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> Hugo sort of argues that the Bourbons like hated change mm. and that the people could see this. So now that the empire has been swept away, they think that they can like status quo can be regained mm-hmm. and that um, because they have like this long past, that means they have these deep roots, but it was wrong. <laughs> they were the Bourbons are part of the past, but the whole past was France, mm. and France's roots are deeper than any one house. <laughs> and the history is of the people. So <laughs> basically, the Bourbons like got too big for their boots and were like, "Haha, we're taking these rights back." And the people were like, "Actually, you know, we've done some revolutions and stuff. We're not going to stand for that anymore. Actually, you shouldn't have done this, you fools." Mm. And that Hugo is like, yeah, pr- never had there been princes so blind to reality. Um, and that was like their great mistake, which had led to them withdrawing those guarantees. And that infringed on the rights of the people. Uh-huh. So, uh, I feel like I'm not doing a bad job of making this like easy to follow and interesting, but it's so convoluted no i mean you also have to deal with someone whose adhd just went hmm the house of bourbons they're the ones at the fleur de lis on the flag right and then like since then have just been googling the flag of the house of bourbons i'm so sorry but i was right there are some fleur de lis on the 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 royal flag of the kingdom of france so i'm sorry (laughs) i was thinking about that because I also wanted, uh, what talk was it? There was a really interesting talk in um, one of the Barricades Convention um, talks and they were talking about the Bourbons and how, oh, who was it? Because, no, you know what it was? It was, there was an episode of um, the Siecle, the the podcast that David mm-hmm. Montgomery does, which is a history podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it if you like history and want it explained to you better than we ever could. No offense, Stevie. <laughs> but, like, I'm trying to reiterate Hugo, yeah. him rambling around so exactly. somebody else can do it succinctly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like, it, it's more about it's more about um, history than it is Hugo. Um, but they, 
he was talking about a princess of Bourbon and she was one of the last ones and something, something, something. There was an assassination attempt and blah, blah, blah. So that's what I was basically trying to remember mm-hmm. while you were talking um, was where have I recently learned some cool facts about the Bourbons? And it was from there. So, um, yeah, they think that they are deeply rooted, but they're not because the people are better. Yeah. Them. Like the Bourbons have been like a super long standing French monarchy. Yeah. yeah. But it was just like a bad time for them to be throwing weight around and trying to take the individual rights from the citizen. Mm. So the restoration falls. It deserved to fall, (laughs) quote by Victor Hugo. And so then we get to the sort of side of Hugo that we have talked about before, where he's like, I do want revolution, but don't you dare be violent about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he argues that under the restoration... The nation had gotten used to sort of calm discussion, which the Republic hadn't had much calm discussion. Mm. And it, but it has also gotten used to greatness in peace. Great, well, yeah, being peaceful but still being great, which the Empire didn't have because the Empire was like, we can only be great if there's war. Mm. So that's kind of, I think he's saying it's kind of like changed the people. So. Now it's the time of intelligence and speaking to each other. So when the restoration falls, mm. it's not in a violent way. Like, it's apparently a very quiet thing. Like, the the Bourbons are just kind of ushered out. They're not executed or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they just were kind of like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> we should go. <laughs> I maybe Well, either I'm going to just listen to the the podcast episode that I'm sure um, sorry could you say the name of it again The the Siècle by David Montgomery yeah I'm sure that he probably has done an episode on all of these things the restoration and Mm -hmm. um, etc because right now I can only take Hugo's word for it yeah 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 (laughs) who is of course the most unbiased uh... unbiased (laughs) man I've ever met yeah, yeah. No opinions whatsoever about how <laughs> politics should be happening in France. <laughs> he just writes exactly how it happened. Um, <laughs> so they just go and they yeah. do it like without any of the grandeur that usually happens when you're getting rid of your whole monarchy. Hmm. And <laughs> like this... the guy, the British MP who uh, watched porn in the House of Commons oh God, this week, yeah. who then just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna fucking quit. <laughs> well, it took him a bit longer. He was like, no, I accidentally did that. I was looking up a Trek website, and I was just like, what? <laughs> What kink did you look up that <laughs> that led you to a porn site? Oh, but you did purposely go back a second time. Well, why did you even bring up the first time? <laughs> yeah, literally. You're making it harder on yourself, my dude. You're making it more of a story. Ugh. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. But... Whereas, yeah. I'm sure it was a lot more convoluted than uh, Hugo is making it sound, but yeah. he makes it sound like the Bourbons are just like, you know what, you're right. We shouldn't have tried to take away those uh, those rights. So sorry, we'll leave. And you got this... us there. <laughs> and that kind of saddened the loyal royalists uh-huh. who loved the Bourbons for themselves and are like, oh, why'd you do it? Why'd you just. Give You're not even going to fight it? Mm. 
And then it also saddened the serious men who honoured the ancestry of the Bourbons who were like, are you just going to walk away? Which is, okay, sorry to keep on bringing this to like modern day politics, but a lot of people felt the same way about Trump, right? Like the, that when he walked away and he didn't like do the whole like, oh, I'm going to start a war. Um, like he kind of made his piss baby statements, um, but he was like claiming that he was going to start doing loads of big things but then he got like kind of softly banned from everywhere that Mm. he didn't do his whole like revolution thing apart from the capital storming but that was you know like minimal to what he was saying he was going to do and then it kind of tweeted out that loads of his like fans were like oh he must have been like kidnapped and spirited away and like (laughs) biden's actually like um assassinated him and stuff like that because our trump wouldn't have walked away so like quietly yeah and he didn't actually lose and all of that kind of stuff well, I think it's very, like, so much of the stuff that Hugo gets into in these chapters, to be fair, is just, like, so grossly relevant. God, yeah. And also that makes it easier to understand what Hugo was, like, taking a lot of slow circles to mm. get to his point mm. of. Um, yeah, but that basically France herself just sensed how strong she was. Uh-huh. So she didn't need to be angry at the Bourbons for this. And, like, didn't need to do, like, a big, uh, we're going to execute you all, la, 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 la. Uh-huh. It was like, no, just, you know, just go, you know what, and we'll almost look on you slightly kindly, you know, like, for myself, Victor Hugo, the fortune of my kings will always command respect, especially that of the blighted ones. Mm. So, you know, like, they did a boo-boo, but they left so quietly that we're like, okay, you know what, you're fine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if they protested peacefully, then I would understand what their argument is. But you have to go and do all of this violence. You're never going to make people understand you if you don't do it peacefully. Oh, why are they disturbing my football game with this peaceful (laughs) protest? Hugo. Well, it's it's literally it's coming. You're so close to it, Nemo. Mm-hmm. You can you can taste it. Um, yeah. So this July Revolution ha- has its friends and enemies throughout the world. So like some people love it and some people hated it. Mm-hmm. So like the princes of Europe kind of like hurt and bewildered by it and try and pretend it didn't really happen. But just because of how strange this revolution was, like. The royalty has been overthrown and they don't even have the honour of being treated as an enemy and having their blood spilled. <laughs> so the July Revolution committed the crime of being momentous but remaining nonviolent. Oh my god. You know what? It's only eight years until the 200 year anniversary. We could make it happen, lads. We've got eight years <laughs> to dethrone the UK. <laughs> I guess we have to do it nonviolently. And yeah. quietly. Yeah, yeah. The July Revolution is a triumph of rightness overthrowing reality. A splendid mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So here is where I was like, okay, I think I get you, Hugo, but uh so right overthrowing reality. Right that triumphs has no need to be violent. Right is that which is just and true. So that which is just and true. Okay. Characteristic of what is right is to remain eternally beautiful and pure. Mm. So if you're right, 
you should just be so good that you don't need to be violent. You've got to stay pure. Is that why all of his old men characters like gardening? <laughs> Maybe. They're just pure. Yeah, they're like, you know, Garden of Eden, Tending. Oh, yeah. All of the old men are sagely godlike people and are pure and bright. And uh, non-violent in their old age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm, we got got by Victor Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> well, see if you can continue to be thinking thoughts after this one. So, okay. reality, mm -hmm. even when it's gross, <laughs> which isn't the word he uses, but yeah. even reality that is accepted by its contemporaries... If it exists only as reality, but doesn't have enough right in it, or no right at all, it will become distorted by time, and may even become monstrous. So, okay, now, uh, now I've read it out loud, I think uh, I do get it. Yeah, I got it, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> so, if the, real the choices you make in your current reality, mm. maybe they follow, you know, how the world works at that moment in time. Yeah. But you're just doing things that are like maybe to further your own agenda. Yeah. If you're not doing it with purity and rightness, things that happen. So the European, bleh, the European reality of the 16th century mm. by the 19th century's morality is like mm. is terrible. Yeah, yeah. So you must have rightness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So you can be doing something in a situation in 2022. Oh, I know what the, a good allegory for this is, because it was something that we talked about this weekend. In the 70s, 80s, there was different terminology for trans people. And there's this whole debate now about whether you should use the word queer, right? And at a certain point of time, what is the correct in scare quotes? terminology usage changes depending on what situation that you're in so even if even if what you're doing in a in a, a current <laughs> doing something in a current context even if you're doing the the right thing when you get to like 30 or 40 or even 10 years or 100 years in the future people looking back at it will have a different context and so we'll see that mm. as monstrous yeah yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. <laughs> okay, but then so his example is Machiavelli. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> Machiavelli isn't an evil genius or a demon or wretched. Uh -huh. He's just the reality. He's not just Italian reality. He's European reality, the reality of the 16th century. So I think maybe more what he's saying uh -huh. that it would be like. So with your example, mm. is more like say the terminology you were using if you were trying to do right like you were trying to use what is respectful now yeah even if that changes maybe as long as your intentions were clearly to do good yeah that's different than if you were trying to do bad yeah yeah okay and, and, and something like with covid there is a difference between how certain governments or certain people reacted and what is different is their intent with how they acted 
because mm. it's very easy to look back on situations and for government spinners, <laughs> liars, to be like, oh, it was really difficult and in the moment and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, fair enough. But you had all of this context and advance warning and you wanted to have a glass of wine and be a probably pedophile at the same time. That's a different context to someone who whose intent was not let's kill all the old people and disabled people mm. so it makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Hugo, we've got it. We understand <laughs> okay. you. Yeah. You made it really hard, but we think we got it. Yeah. Yeah. You you wrote one sentence and it took us like three contemporary scenarios to understand. <laughs> we had to live so... through a fucking like pandemic in order to understand. <laughs> God. So the work of the wise is to instill rightness into reality and reality into right. <laughs> um, one more time. I'll give you the whole thing. This conflict between right and reality has been going on ever since society became into be- came into being. Yeah. To end this duel, to marry purity of concept with human actuality, mm-hmm. to instill right in reality mm-hmm. and reality in right. Mm-hmm. That is the work of the wise. Okay, so that's the bishop. Nice, done. <laughs> yeah, great. It was really distracting because I have written a fanfic called My Reality and it's a tenet fic. And every time someone says my reality or the reality, <laughs> I always think of that fic. And so I was like, but I was like, that is not a cultural touchstone that everyone else has. <laughs> so Your like, fic. Oh, yeah, oh, well, even watching Tenet, to be honest. Oh. But, um, it's like, yes, obviously the concept of reality and rightness is making so much more sense to everyone else after uh, having watched that film, right? But anyway, sorry. But it is the bishop, yeah, who is whose job, whose sole job as a wise person is to make rightness a reality and that's what Jean Valjean is trying to do when he becomes the mayor Mm. is to also try and make rightness a reality by making the factory and having all those things and it's what Angelas and the other ME are trying to do making rightness a reality but these three people are doing it in different ways and there's a violent way and a non-violent way and both of them fail. So, fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diane, you brought it back to the top blame So, so then, so then, but yeah, both of these things fail because the people don't get on board with it. The people, the factory people, the people in Montreal sur Mer, vilify Jean Valjean, and the people don't rise at the barricades. And so, this kind of structural change like dethroning a monarch, making the right reality, can only happen when the people overwhelmingly decide to follow it. And also, <laughs> no matter what, with with all of these situations, looking back on them is a lot easier than joining them at the time. Mm. Yeah, that sounds about right, because he gets into a couple other things in these coming chapters where he's like, this is, it's too soon to say, like, this has happened too soon in our past for everyone to have, like, 
fully settled down enough to like properly mm. look at how we should feel about this like mm-hmm. we're all feeling a lot right now that's like in the future people will like properly judge these moments but right now we're not able to yeah i feel like you got it Nemo. well done <laughs> oh yeah i believe in god again <laughs> <laughs> yourself you mean i believe in you and your ability to like well i was like i'm just gonna present you with these things and see what happens it was an uphill struggle all that like uh going back and forth about the bob and so i was like i'm sorry stevie i'm checked out fully <laughs> but um i are you back with reality yeah i i thought it was quite funny um that realization about all of the old men being gardeners and i was like oh my god stevie do we have a god kink because all of these old men are actually <laughs> like uh messages about god i was like oh god i need to say something smart to distract us from that that's not what i need to hear i've been working on my religious ocd (laughs) it's fine um your 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 current sexual paramour is javert so um that's true a uh middle-aged it's fine closer to jesus but i'm okay with that uh, yeah, just um, the secret manuscript that Victor Hugo has, where uh, where Javert rises after three days, and <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, well, every fanfic author says yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so we got a complete. We've got both our hands. We've got both of Javert. Actually, Javert and Jean Valjean have these giant hands. I can recall. <laughs> yeah. We, with their giant hands, have got our hands around this chapter. Yes, yes, yes. Because we're only through one, and it took so many brain cells bumping together. But I do also blame Victor Hugo, because like he starts talking... I guess he did have to talk about the Bourbons and stuff, mm. but he really just wanted to be talking about reality. Yeah, I yeah. guess he needed his case study. And then, so chapter two, he's got some more thoughts on moral, the revolution of 1930 so like we're kind of mostly done talking about the bourbons Mm -hmm. and that revolution of 1930 actually came to a halt quite quickly says he (laughs) um and basically he talks about the word statesman and how that's a slang word of the astute and being astute is being able to assess a situation to your advantage, but he fucking hates them is what I can tell. Because mm-hmm. um, he was like, let's not forget that where there is only astuteness, there is inevitably pettiness. Uh-huh. So to say the astute is just another way of saying the mediocre. Oh. So if you say statesman, that's basically like saying traitor. <laughs> wow. Okay. He's got, he's actually got, I, I hope it's coming up in this one. He just does point the finger in this chapter where he's like, it's all your fault. Oh my you. God. <laughs> this group. And you're like, whoa, fuck, get him. So I feel like this is another chapter that he wrote immediately after coming home from a dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Like, that first one's like, I've been thinking a lot about <laughs> the revolution. Then he went to a dinner party where he was like, I'm thinking a lot about the revolution and reality, and someone said something he hated. Yeah, and then he was like, fuck all these uh, pseudo-intellectuals who write about this <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah. So, according to the astute, revolutions like the July Revolution are like a severed artery, and a prompt ligature is needed. Everything's a bit destabilised, and what they think we need is 
basically a new authority mm-hmm. to restabilize things. So after freedom is secured, thoughts must turn to that authority. And it's at this point that he's like, the wise, who are part of the same company as the astute, are thinking, hmm, yes, authority, we do need that. But firstly, what is authority? Oh my god. Secondly, where does it come from? And I was like, oh god, okay, here we go again. (laughs) But the astute, he doesn't hear these murmured objections and presses forward with their scheme. So... According to those politicians who are experts at putting the mask of necessity on advantageous fictions, the first requirement after a nation for a nation after a revolution is to acquire a dynasty because okay. that means they can dress the wounds of the nation and rebuild its house. A dynasty hides the scaffolding and shields the ambulance. So what I th- so yeah, what he's getting at is that yeah, uh-huh. that for people who are just looking for game, yeah, they just want to slap a new authoritative face on things so that like they continue can continue to like do their business and like make their money yeah. and whatever, yeah, and like yeah. not actually further address the problems that like we could be doing if we were just like keep ramping up this revolution. But they're like slam the brakes on guys. Let's think about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my political thing is that when David Cameron needed to uh, resign or whatever, it was the end of him, and so they replaced him with Theresa May, and then they replaced her with Boris Johnson really quickly because they needed a new authoritative figure to take away both times. They needed a new, what was it, dynasty that they said? Yeah. They needed a new, like, yeah. So with Theresa May, they needed a new Iron Lady that they could put things behind. And then when they needed her to take the fall and scapegoat things, and they were like, yeah, she was a woman. We need the buffoon to come back. And putting all of their... They don't really care who it is in the front. And it's also kind of happening now. Or There's a lot of people saying that they'll put one of the... Um, Asian people who are conservative dickheads in control for the same reason. Like why um, Pretty Patel has so much power and it doesn't really matter who they are but they need to be like personalities in order to cover their... Some cracks. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. all of the cracks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah. Uh, well, here, okay, Let, let's continue this one on because uh-huh. Hugo's like, well, not just any family will make a dynasty. Uh-huh. It's got to have a certain element of antiquity in its lineage and a stamp of centuries cannot be improvised. That um, wow. he's like, so with the Conservative Party in England right now with all that stuff, yeah. they're just like, slap someone else up front. Yeah. Okay, that one's not worked. Okay, slap. So they're just continuing to p- try and throw up a new dynasty to hide the scaffolding, but they're not putting enough thought into it. Yeah. So that's why they keep crumbling, and we've got to slap a new one up there. But I mean, also if- like all of them are like landed gentry families, and they all have gone to Eton. So it is like you know that that thing still applies with the like um, you can't mask. You can't lie about generations. 
they all have got generations. That's why they're all in the fucking Conservative Party, because mm. they want to conserve the fact that they're in charge. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> no. This is a very political episode. Well, yeah. we're talking about politics, so it makes sense to be talking about politics. Yeah, it's only going to be more and more. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Hugo asks, will the attributes of a dynasty? <laughs> it's got to be national. Yeah. That is to say, revolutionary at a distance, not through deeds done, but ideas accepted. It must consist of the past and be historic, consist of the future and be sympathetic. So, that basically the first revolutions they were satisfied with just like finding a man, so Cromwell or a Napoleon, mm. and like putting him up there. But these sort of these second revolutions, so second wave revolutions, that I think are the ones that are mm. the revolutions that are answering the first revolution. Uh-huh. They are determined to find a family, so to see, I guess, to seem more like. Mm. We're solidly situated here. Mm. Mm. So you get your house of Brunswick's and your house of the Orleans. Mm. So royal houses are like Indian fig trees bending down to the earth, whose roots become a new fig tree, and each branch grows into a dynasty, Mm. which is fine as long as they bend down to the people. And that's the theory... So that's what the astutes think. Okay, and they're the dumbasses. Yes, I think yes, says Hugo. At least he's heckled them a bit. Uh-huh. So, oh, God, if he would stick to metaphor or stick to not metaphor, I would be able to summarize so much easier. <laughs> 1830 is a revolution that stopped mid-course, so it was like semi-progress. Mm-hmm. Who stops revolutions mid-course, Nemo? Who, who, who stops revolutions mid-course, Stevie? The bourgeoisie. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to think of what what it could be, and I was like, it's not Voltaire. I don't understand. <laughs> it can't be. No, he's just like, why? Because the bourgeoisie is satisfied self-interest. Oh my god! And. You know what? Some people want to wrongly identify the bourgeoisie as a class. The bourgeoisie is simply the contented section of the people. The man who now has time to sit down and a chair is not a caste. That is so relevant to the current day climate because they are the middle class people and yeah, what's stopping revolution from happening it's all the people who have become comfortable Mm. so a class is not made up of those with a failing says hugo i like i wish i lived in that that world where Mm. selfishness selfishness is not one of the divisions of social order and you're like isn't it okay isn't yeah (laughs) don't would be nice if not true, but uh, I think the people in the like one percent <laughs> sure feeling pretty selfish. Yeah, but that yeah, the progress of the human race is halted because of the desire to sit down too soon. So it's all your fault, bourgeoisie middle class. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know whether I'd say it was all their fault though. <laughs> There's the people <laughs> well, uh, on top of them who. Uh... 
have things to do. No, says Hugo, it's just the bourgeois' fault. And I was like, you, is he not? Is Hugo, is he not? (laughs) Is he not set, was he not in, where was he? Uh, With a G? Hopefully a house. No, Guernsey. Yeah, Yeah. was he not in Guernsey, sat on a velvet chair, (laughs) writing this down? Yeah, because... Okay, well, was was it like okay? So first chapter, first chapter that we read is about how the aristocratic have pissed off. So now it's about the bourgeois. The next chapter about how the poor people are bad. So we get the whole shebang, the range, darling. Yeah. No, actually, it's about how there's a king that actually he's got a, a lot of warm feelings about. Oh, okay. It, it's it's not their fault. It's. The middle class's fault. It's so it's solidly about the middle class. Interesting. That's um wild. Yeah, at least right now. So yeah. uh, we must be fair to selfishness. Uh must we? <laughs> you know, the bourgeois after the upheaval, they weren't trying for inertia. Uh-huh. Which involves indifference and laziness and mm. includes a little shame. They weren't looking to sleep, which implies momentary forgetfulness. It was a state of pause, a halt. Halt. A word that that invokes the marching of troops. That is to say, movement. That is to say. But (laughs) also... Oh my god, yeah. I didn't even even enjoy it. (laughs) There's too much happening. (laughs) That is to say, movement. But also, it means inaction. That uh. is to say, rest. Uh. So, so a halt is the restoration of strength. Because you know, with the army, we're taking a moment to regain our energy and have a nap, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it implies fighting yesterday and fighting tomorrow. So that this halting interval, the fault of the bourgeois. That's what's going on between 1830 and 1848. So, who do you put in charge during a time like that, basically? Mm. You need someone who is signifying both revolution but also stability. Mm. (laughs) So you kind of got this impossible job. You need to be a centrist like Biden. Okay, well, there you go, actually. Not impossible job. Um, well, we've got our, we've got our Biden, we've got a man ready and waiting, and his name was Louis-Philippe Dorlanes. Oh, great. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah, I know, right? But a name that I recognise from Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> Lafayette was yeah. bros with him and was part of putting him in charge. Like, a load of people voted for him. Uh-huh. 221, I think. Mm. So... He's on. I don't even know how to summarize it. So we've got so Louis Philippe is the king. Uh-huh. He's our compromise king. Some people like it and some people don't, and that's just how it is. That that actually that that is just how I can only come to conclude this. So yeah, I do think it's it's very similar to yeah. It, it is you know we talked about how. Trump, someone very divisive and like um who was very like I'm the divine right of kings, kind of was defeated, then bowed out to the disappointment of many extremists. 
and then in comes um a cent like necessarily a centrist who wasn't too far the other way because there needed to be a period of like undoing what the previous had done but also like wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to edge in if he had been any more liberal mm, yeah this history is making sense to me now a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah cuz you need someone who was part of the revolution like had a hand in it mm. but like still has a good lineage yeah <laughs> for yeah. this dynasty that we're setting up and louis philippe was part of the revolution and like so there's not time now i wasn't sure it felt like we were going to really need to unpack these things. The yeah. whole next chapter is basically just like, Louis Philippe, How I Feel About Him by Victor Hugo. <laughs> a lot of good things. Like you just, I feel like I never quite know, even though we've like done episodes on it, I'm like, does he like monarchs? Does mm. he like this one? Is he? What's going on with the press? He says that under Louis Philippe, you could write what you wanted and there was a free mm. press. So like, mm. do, he doesn't have to say these nice things. Mm. Um, like he also has things where he's like, okay, maybe he did a bit of this as well, but like, yeah, he's a dude. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I guess before next episode, I'll think about how in depthly I'll make you deal with that. Cause it is quite uh two, three, four, five, six pages. I, I can't. We mu- one must assume <laughs> he's setting the stage uh-huh. for something. I mean, I gotta hope, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. There is. I mean, it, this is all leading up to why the barricades, right? Like, okay, we're we're transitioning from Fontaine and Jean Valjean's story into. Marius and the Barricade Boys' story. From now on, Cosette is kind of the one that holds some elements of the, like, intensely personal, um, as in the, like, the story of Fontaine, a down-on-her-luck, like, woman, then goes into Cosette. But um, from now on, we are getting more and more communal into the story. Like, it's about mm-hmm. these barricade boys and how the lead up to that and then the outset. And Jean Valjean is there as well. But it's also less about him personally going through stuff. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, he, he does still go through stuff, but it's mostly... Yeah, so I think this this is all that's what this transition is. It's the transition away from one part of the story to the next, which makes sense because it is the start of this part. <laughs> the idea oh, yeah. of man. And he's going on about this transition from uh restoration. Yeah, yeah. To the next the next one. Yeah. Restoration, revolution, restoration again. Because this whole part gets up to the building of the barricades and then we're on to the barricades and then the next part is barricades to end oh wow i mean when you put it like that it sounds like there isn't another three four five five hundred pages 
<laughs> yeah, it's just 250 pages of getting to the barricades, and then it's 250 yeah. of being at the barricades, and then post barricades. So you know, that's basically nothing. So we're basically done. Yeah, exactly. We might as well end here. So Yeah. So he was like, okay, I need to transition you more into thinking about politics and these boys, but I'm going to need to grind your brain into dust yeah. before you can. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like, I, I've read, like, I apologize for many listeners who are, like, trying to follow. I know that this was probably a, a difficult one. Mm. Um I read the first chapter twice because I read it last week and I read it this week. And you kind of hope, you know, you'll come back to it and you're like, maybe it'll make more sense. <laughs> and like, we do get to the heart of the points. And maybe that, maybe Hugo does just want us to read it really slowly to be like, what? Okay. Mm. <laughs> but some of it is just really dense, but like not dense with fact, dense with his thoughts. Which yeah. I know, like, he often does, but you know when it's, like, dense with his thoughts in a way that you're like, I'm not you, Victor Hugo, I don't know how... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know! What are you trying to say? Why are you saying it like this? Did it have... Could it have been concise? Like, I'm reading the wrong book if I'm asking for him to be concise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure, reading the wrong book for conciseness. <laughs> But I, I think, well, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll say this and then next Monday I'll be like, I'm going to read it halfway before we start. <laughs> um, I'll see if I can... Like, like the next chapter made, made more sense because he was just like, here's some things about Louis Philippe. Those first two, you're like, okay, really trying to understand it. So I think it will be easier to um, go forward. I mean, I'm hoping. Mm. <laughs> Although the, the chapter after that is when there's some like images of tables oh yeah in the page so perhaps not but we'll see i guess <laughs> but but where you're all you're earning i'm earning we're all earning the barricade boys you don't just like get them like he just no. gave them to us before yeah. and was like here are all these boys but then yeah. he's like actually you don't deserve them you disgusting bourgeoisie <laughs> <laughs> You thought you could just sit down and be handed them? No. <laughs> I think that that's it from me. Like, I, I hope it the next one won't be as hard as this. I, we've we've come through harder together, haven't we, all <laughs> lads? Like, we we made it through Waterloo. Yeah. We can make it through this, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know why it feels like this is worse than anything we've done so far. Because I feel like we want to understand it now. With Waterloo, we were like, well, fuck it. If it doesn't make sense to us, then we'll just fucking carry on. But this one, we're like, it's a it's a personal challenge to understand what Hugo <laughs> is saying now, so that we can tear him apart for his bad opinions. <laughs> Yeah, how am I meant to if I don't understand him? <gasps> He's trying to throw us off his oh, rhythm. Oh, no, God. <laughs> it's all purposeful. <laughs> oh, no. We've fallen into his trap. <laughs> well, if anyone else understood it more, let us know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this has been Brandon Brackett's Lamer's podcast. If you understood any of the politics in this episode, please... <laughs> <laughs> send us an email eliasmaspodcast at gmail.com or to our twitter at lamospodcast or to our tumblr at bread and barricades we would very much appreciate any comments questions or quibbles because we don't understand politics i barely understand british contemporary politics and i um 
on Twitter 24-7, which is obviously how you understand politics. <laughs> I mean, I watch the news for like two hours every evening and I'm still like, what? <laughs> you can also give us a review because you can say how this was your favourite episode. Totally this one. <laughs> Definitely this one. This one's the one that got you started. Really rev your engines. Our sound designer is Jade, who you can find on her website, jadeosavi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadeosavi.bandcamp.com. If you do want to have a t-shirt that is Ben Barricades themed, you can also go to redbubble.com and type in Blobo from my brick, or my boof, or Lena's podcast, or Nemo Martin, and you can buy a sticker. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm aware of, no one sent any begging messages for us to really steam through these chapters yeah but maybe this episode will make them 